Hello and welcome to Inside Modular, the podcast of commercial modular construction brought to you by the Modular Building Institute. With a compact footprint, variety of unit options, and seamless system management, city multi-variable refrigerant flow zoning systems from Mitsubishi Electric Train HVAC US are a one-stop solution for modular projects. With efficient operation and the ability to connect to commercial ventilation equipment, third-party systems, and comprehensive control solutions, City Multi VRF can help you meet energy and performance goals on your next project. From off-site development to on-site assembly, you can trust our manufacturer-level support to guide you from system selection to design to startup, no matter the application. To learn more about our offerings, visit MitsubishiPro.com. Welcome, everyone. My name is John McMullen, and I'm the Marketing Director here at MBI. Today, I'm talking with Joanna Schwartz, CEO of Quartz Properties Management. Joanna is here to talk about her company's development of modular-based residential communities around the country. Joanna, welcome. Uh, Hi, John. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh, So tell me about yourself. What's your background, and and how were you introduced to modular construction? Oh, my. (laughs) Well, it's a little bit of a a circuitous story. Um, The short answer is... um, in about 30 years of working, I've uh, spent about 20 of those years in various forms of real estate, mostly on the finance side. Okay. I was in the mortgage business for many years. I was uh, dabbled a little bit in the equity crowdfunding world. Um, but I was never a developer, and I was never doing the project. And about five years ago, I moved up to Boston, and I said, well, I'm going to change that, because I've always, every time I'm always analyzing a deal, I always was jealous of the people actually in the ground doing the um, making the project, building neighborhoods, changing communities. And so I decided that I wanted to be a developer. I started doing a few projects with a few different groups of folks up here in the Boston area. Um, and they were fine. They, they went well, but nothing really stuck. Um, subsequently, I decided to partner up with an old mentor and boss of mine, David Quinn, who is now partner, um, you know, primary partner at Quartz Properties. Um, that's how we got our fun little name, Qu- uh, Quentin Schwartz is Quartz Property. Uh-huh. And <laughs> a little secret, um, he decided that we wanted to do something interesting in the real estate sector together, but what we weren't exactly sure what. Um, separately, I was doing a renovation on my house up here, and um, we were struggling to find people to do the work, and we couldn't get a good deal. And all of a sudden, I saw these amazing houses being built in my neighborhood, and they were going up, like, one after the other, super quickly, and they were gorgeous. And so I reached out to the guy who was building them, and I'm like, what is this? What are you doing? And he was the one who told me, oh, these are modular houses, and I can build you a brand new house in eight months if you want, from hmm. start to finish. Now, that wasn't what we needed to do, so we didn't do it, but I was I, it completely enamored right from then. And... We started researching the potential of modular, and as you know, um, you know it is still a very um, underused uh, form of construction in the United States. Only two to three percent of single-family homes are done through modular, which confounds me to no end. It's, as we know, more efficient, more green, more cost-effective. It works better for the labor market. Um, there are so many benefits to it. And so we just decided, you know what, we are going to figure out how to make modular a bigger component of the single-family housing market. 
we're going to try to do our small part to address the chronic housing shortage in this country, and we're going to use modular as a primary tool to help us do that. And so, um, Courts Properties was, was born, um, we were originally called Builders Partner for a year or two, because initially, we're not builders. We thought, so, well, we are now, but we weren't then. And we thought, well, let's go find builders and give them the financial strength and capacity to build more and to focus on modular um, and grow their own businesses. Um, we found a, a lot of resistance in the market for people. They didn't want to transition to modular. They didn't understand modular. And finally, about a year and a half into our effort, we said, okay, we're going to really just dive in. And not only are we going to become developers, but we're actually going to become builders. We're going to go in and, and buy, buy land, build communities, and see how we can take this. Um, that was in 2018. And um, then we were off to the races. We bought our first uh, development, which is called Paget Place in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And um, we are, have just been on an incredible ride since then, growing and expanding. Well, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. And those are some, some very ambitious goals that you touched on. Uh, I was wondering if you could dive into that a little bit more and, and tell me about you know, how you're working with builders and, 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 and forming those relationships and really making it possible uh, to, to achieve everything that you want to achieve. Well, so our goal, we are, to the best of our knowledge, the only modular-centric home builder um, that is, a, you know, a, seeks to become a top 100 home builder in the United States, which is defined, I don't know, the last time I looked at the list, it's kind of like 1,100 units per year. Um, so we're nowhere, we're nowhere close to that, but we fully expect to achieve that, um, you know, sometime in the next several years. And so, yeah, we do have uh, very lofty goals. Um, we are now building communities that are both for sale, um, and we target um, our sale prices to be at kind of the midpoint of uh, the range for prices in a certain market. Okay. We are now also starting to do projects that are um, what are called build for rent. So they are purpose-built communities, um, same process as building a community for sale. We buy raw land, we develop the land. Um, but then when we build the houses, instead of selling them, we rent them. And uh, that is becoming a very large segment, an important segment in the housing market. Um, and uh, so we are doing projects that fit both of those, um, uh, those business models right now. Gotcha. So when, when, you're, when you're buying the land, you're planning and designing these communities, how, how do you go about that? Are these, are these planned unit developments or are they something different? So we um, we have a library now of home designs that we are very comfortable with. Um, they are they range, you know, in size from about thirteen hundred square feet to twenty three, twenty four hundred square feet. Uh, we have ranches. We have some capes. Um, we're now finalizing our first townhome. And um, when we go in, you know. One of we're doing smaller communities, smaller size communities. So typically, we're not competing with the large track builders. We are not doing anything custom. So when we go in, we have a few floor plans, we have a few exterior designs, and we have a few interior packages. We make all the decisions ourselves. And one of the kind of mantras is like, 
it's like attainable luxury. So everything, we have all the features that someone would really want in a beautiful home. We have the, the countertops and the appliances and the beautiful showers and all of that. But no one has to pay extra for it. It's all just included in our base price. Um, and, you know, we tend, because modular has to be built on a foundation, it can't be built on a crawl space, um, we already know we're paying more for foundation. So we actually look for projects that, while it's nice when the land is flat, in the areas where we are, it tends not to be. And then that just gives us a little bit more flexibility. And again, we're not competing with the track builders. So, um, you know, some apart, some units have basements, some have garages, some have a walkout in the back. They all, you know, they have a big deck. So, they, they, so each house can be a little bit different in each neighborhood, and it really is dependent on the topography of where we are. Are there, um, besides the, the, the land itself, are there any other criteria that you look at when choosing uh, where to build? Well, we have really fallen in love with a few areas and communities, in particular Western North Carolina. Um, and our model down there is that we we are now starting to vertically integrate our business. So we um, we're a construction company, we're a general contractor in North Carolina. Um, we are about to um, actually build out our own uh, transportation capabilities um, for actually hauling and setting the modulars. Um, and we have found that the more resources you actually have on the ground that you fully control, the better the outcomes are. Hmm. So we originally started out saying, oh, we're going to go everywhere really quickly. And we have retreated from that because we really see the benefit in going deep in a market and really getting a lot of capability. So that's what we're doing in Western North Carolina. Um, in Colorado, we have an excellent partner in a company called um, Fading West. Yep. And they are our factory and our general contractor. And we are... Um, almost finished with phase one of a four-phase project with them, and we are very, very pleased with how that's going. And then you guys are in? Um, so we have some land in Idaho that is still in pre-development, and uh, we are working on finalizing the project team for that, for um, for those, uh, those lots as we speak. And, um, you know, every time you go into a new place, you have to kind of start. There is a lot of starting from scratch. So... Um, That's very exciting. I, I want to uh, loop back. You had mentioned your first project a few minutes ago. It was called Pageant mm -hmm. Place. I was wondering yeah. if you could uh, tell us the, the genesis of that and what lessons have you been able you know, to learn from there and, and apply yeah. to your other projects. Uh, okay, sure. Um, Pageant Place was, was honestly such a great um, first project for us and we learned a tremendous amount and are, have taken all of those lessons with us everywhere we've gone. So, um, number one, is the way we got that project actually was a lead from, from a modular factory who knew that we were looking for our first project and they called us and said, listen, we know uh, the person who owns this land, they are struggling to actually turn it into a 
finance project and maybe you can jump in and, and help them. And that was the genesis of how we got involved with that project. Um, and it happened very, very quickly. Um, I think one of the things that was very interesting from the beginning is that we realized that while, yes, modular has its own advantages of being, you know, uh, faster and more efficient once you get them to the site, it, it, does, it still doesn't change all of the other components that need to go into creating a development from scratch, meaning all of the, the planning, um, the engineering, and the actual just land development of it, right? Like clearing the land, building the roads, putting in the utilities. And that is, um, for us on this project, was really the long hole in the tent because um, we were particularly inexperienced in that area. And um, it was a very steep learning curve for a bunch of, you know, honestly, pencil pushers who had never been on the ground before. Um, it was pretty steep learning curve for us, but we got through it, and fortunately, we, we had some good, you know, uh, third parties who, who put an excellent plan in place, and we just had to implement it, and that, that development is, has been incredibly successful for us. We were able to, you know, once we dove into the modular piece, we were able to create our, the beginnings of our design library and of our finished packages and a lot of the features that have met, that now we're really known for. And the people who live in that community are extremely happy. They love their homes. They love their community. You know, it's only um, going to be 43 homes. So they're a very tight-knit group, smallish, smallish lots. They're, they're very friendly. They, they socialize all the time. And it's definitely very satisfying to kind of go through there and see that this was once just a field, and now it is a thriving community of happy people living in a beautiful location. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. I had a, a, a follow-up question. You, you mentioned a learning curve uh, a second ago, and I, I have to imagine there are several. One of them I'm really curious about is, is how your manufacturing capabilities have changed since you started. Um, you, you described yourself as a pencil pusher, but I'm sure you're more than that. But going from you know an office setting to, to manufacturing houses is, is, a, is a big leap. Uh, you mentioned Fading well, West was a partner of yours. How, yeah. how has that evolved? Yeah, so we actually do not own our own factories. Everything, okay. all, all of the houses are manufactured by third parties. Um, Fading West is the only one, is the only partner that we have that manufactures and actually also serves as the general contractor. Um, and uh, on the East Coast, we, um, we are the contractor for our projects. And, um, and that, that's a broad term. In North Carolina, we're the contractor for our projects. And we get everything from factories. Okay. So, but there was a huge learning curve with that, and we have bought um, homes from at least five different factories at this point. Um, we have our favorites, and um, and we have forged a very strong relationship with that factory, and they are now supplying um, all of our homes for the two projects on the East Coast that are under construction right now. So. It, there is a big learning curve, and the factories need to learn who you are and what you are. But we're at a point now where we can tell them, you know, we want an extended porch willow elevation C with, uh, you know, a shale finish package. And they know exactly what that means, and we'll have, uh, and they can put the order through pretty much immediately for us. I see. So 
that that's pretty powerful. But to get to that point where you can order your house like you're ordering your dinner on DoorDash, you know, that is a, a pretty steep learning curve, not just for us, but also for the factories because they don't typically work that way. So, so all, all the, I'm sorry to interrupt. The, the, all the, uh, yeah. the, the manufacturers that you're working with are working from a, a, a shared set of plans. You, you, you give each factory, you say, I've got these three plans and it, that's all you've got. It's not three plans per manufacturer. It's three plans. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. But we have plans for our development. So in the Fading West project, that those are actually plans from, that came out, that originated from their factories. So those are technically their plans. Um, for the East Coast, um, we have plans for each of our development and then we could switch factories and go to a different factory to, to produce those plans, but we're choosing we're choosing not to. We, we've done a, a little bit of that, but we're now very happy. Okay, I understand. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What factors do you consider when you're when you're designing and building these communities? Are there are there trends or regional influences that you pay attention to? Um, yeah, sure. Well, we you know we definitely keep track of lifestyle and what people are interested in and kind of these mega trends that everyone's following now with work from home and, you know, that term digital nomads. Um, in our communities in North Carolina and, and in Colorado, um, you, you got a lot of people who have, who are flocking into those areas because they no longer have to be tethered to a, to a desk somewhere in some city. So um, we definitely consider, you know, Everyone loves a modern open floor plan, but at the end of the day, when you live in a house, you also kind of need private little spaces to be and to work and to, um, you know, do all the different activities that a family, uh, you know, a, a family or a group of people who are all living together need to be able to do. And uh, so we really consider that in our design. So, for example, in a 1,500 square foot home at Paget Place, every single one of those homes also has a built-in work area desk. Um, that's just, you know, I mean, it's such a simple thing, right? But it's got drawers, it's got lights, it's got cabinets. And even though it's not in its own private office, it's a place where someone can sit and work and actually do a job for a whole day. And that is not, not something that you would normally find built in into a 1,500 square foot moderately priced house. Um, so we have things like, we, we do things like that because we really try to consider lifestyle. We, we're considering also kind of, people's willingness to spend extra time and money on their homes. So we're trying to do things that are very low maintenance, um, very beautiful, but high, uh, but high quality and low maintenance. So for example, we don't use wood floors in our homes. We use uh, luxury vinyl plank floors in our homes. Mm. They're gorgeous. Um, they look just like wood, but they function much better. They, they don't scratch, they don't stain. Um, it, they don't get ruined if a little bit of water, you know, gets thrown on them. They can dry out. Um, they're just incredibly durable, and they'll last for 25 years or something like that. Um, those are the types of things we think about when we're building because people really appreciate it. So walk me through the, the typical development uh, of a new community. What's the first step, and, and how long does the process take from uh, you deciding, you know, I, we want to build on this piece of land to having friends and neighbors move in. 
some of these have you found uh that there's any challenges that recur from project to project and maybe maybe approvals or, or waiting or or does each project present sort of its own challenges i was wondering if you can give me an example um i mean there's obviously a lot of similarities there's also a lot of us doing better you know as we become more experienced or uh, you know coming up the learning curve there's certain traps that we don't fall into anymore um you know i think for us, because we don't have our own factory, making sure that for each project we're selecting the optimal factory for that project, that's definitely something that, um, you know, we're we're really focused on. And, you know, making sure that our budget is in place and that it matches with where um, we're trying to finalize the transaction at the end of the day, whether it is for sale or for rent, you know, the, all the, 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 the big titles of the challenges are the same for every project, but the details differ depending on each project, right? Because something will come out of left field and you're like, oh, that's a new one. Um, but you just, you know, you just kind of deal with it. And I'm a big believer in our company that, I mean, always in life, you know, we're going to make mistakes. You cannot be afraid to move forward, you know, at, at the risk of making a mistake. However, the challenge that I always present to all of us at our company is that let's only make the mistake once and then let's learn from it, systemize a way to avoid it. And, you know, that gives us room so that when we find a different area that we make a different mistake, we, we just don't make the same mistake twice. And so far, I don't really think we have, which is, which is encouraging. That is encouraging. That is encouraging. Yeah. I make a mistake at least three or four times before I learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> So have you run into any trouble with uh, supply chain or, or labor issues? You mentioned that before. How have you been navigating those? It's been a real, it's been a real challenge. Um, 
you know, on the days where we get frustrated and things are delayed, I mean, we've had things, for example, you know, in the middle of COVID, we had a house closing that got delayed, I think it was three weeks because we were missing a particular bolt on the, you know, a bolt on the fence, on the, on the patio fence, and we couldn't get our CO because we didn't have the gate up. I mean, and it was just like, oh my God, but we couldn't get the bolt. You know what I mean? So, so there are things like that that you just are unavoidable and so minor, and you just realize how many pieces go into the puzzle of finishing the house, whether it's modular or not. But I do feel better when we get frustrated when I hear really experienced people in the home building industry have been in it for decades and have built thousands and thousands of houses, and they say they've never seen a more challenging time to be in the home building business, which is a little bit counterintuitive because if you're just a regular consumer in the market, you see the prices going up, you think it's an amazing time to be in this business. And certainly it is fun when you see the, the prices come in on the contract, but to get to that point is unbelievably challenging. So. The answer is a very big yes. We do have supply chain issues. We do have labor issues. We just aggressively manage them on a day-to-day basis. I mean, on the ground, we we focus on being a very good employer to our both our employees and to our subs. We pay very well. We practice what we preach. You know, we create a really nice work, a safe and nice work environment. Um, and then we, when we deal with the factories, the one good thing I can say is that because we're still very small, the factories have buying power that exceeds our own, and we've benefited from that. So on the East Coast, our factory is now, you know, pre-purchasing for us in advance because we, we can very well predict what we need for the rest of the year and beyond. They are pre-purchasing a lot of the hard-to-secure items for us and for our home. So it's not a perfect solution, but it is helping a lot and is keeping us much closer to the schedule that we want to be on in terms of finishing the houses. Very good. So what's what's next for Quartz? You had mentioned uh, you know doing some some work in in Idaho. What, what's coming up in the rest of the year and beyond? Um, well, we're very excited because we own the land for what is going to become our first build for rent project. So I mentioned that as a big piece of our strategy, but we haven't built one of those yet. Um, and so uh, we are really focusing on that sector of the market for to get our feet wet there. And um, we're pretty excited about the pipeline that we have in terms of expanding that side of our business. We're pretty excited about some of the vertical integration that we're doing on the East Coast, and um, we just want to we just want to do much, much more of exactly what we're doing because we finally feel like we've figured out how to do it. Hit your stride. Um, yeah, they call it the flywheel, as they call it. Trying to get that, trying to get the fly. We've been working for four years to get the flywheel moving, and it is finally moving. So that's very exciting for us. Well, it is exciting, and I just want to thank you for your time uh, today, Joanna. This is all very exciting. I look forward to keeping up with you guys. Uh, I, I really appreciate you so your making the time for me today. Absolutely, and thanks for thanks to you and all you do for the industry. We appreciate it. My name is John McMullen, and this has been another episode of Inside Modular, the podcast of commercial modular construction. Until next time.